Welcome to Financial Planning Explained, and I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, uh, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Um, always like to uh, try to have educational content on my show. Uh, that's what it's all about. I believe in education and knowledge are powerful. And of the six areas of financial planning, the one that many people think are probably the most boring is the one that excites me the most because there's nothing better than beating a tax man in his own game. Now, of course, you know, I'm not here to teach you how to cheat on taxes, but the fact of the matter is, is that what we want to be able to do is discuss uh, different ideas, and here we are year-end. So let's talk about a whole bunch of different year-end tax planning ideas. Uh, we're also going to introduce um, the tax law changes that aren't done yet, and we have no idea where they're going, and unfortunately, you know, this is timely, so uh, how, what actually happens who knows uh, until they actually do it and they probably wait until the last second of the year like they seemingly uh, the government likes to do and hopefully they're not uh, listening to me but they're probably listening to everybody but that's a separate issue anyway um, so I'm welcome uh, I'm pleased to welcome my guest uh, Brian Puglisi who is a master's in taxation and also a certified public accountant a CPA uh, works for GMS Surgeon, is it? GMS Surgeon? Okay, cool. Devin. Brian, thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, um, give you a quick, just give me a quick intro and who you are, and then we're going to jump into what you and I find really fun, and hopefully our viewers going to be able to pick up on some ideas. But tell me a little bit about yourself and your firm. Yeah, so my name is Brian Puglisi. As you said, GMS Surgeon. I'm a CPA. I've been with the firm 16 years now, which wow. in nowadays time is a long time. Yeah, I was going to say, it is a long time. Uh, we are a full-service accounting firm. We assist clients with uh, financial statements, but we uh, spend a lot of our time on the tax end with tax compliance and tax planning and consulting of small to medium closely held businesses of, of a lot of different industries and also high net worth individuals. Okay, excellent, excellent. So, you know, we're all staring down the barrel of, you know, what the White House and the current administration is looking at doing for tax law changes. And I know you and I had talked about this before. You could pull your hair out, and I've done a pretty good job of that. Me it's too. Like, <laughs> I have you beat. Yeah, I, apparently you do. So, you know, and I've pulled my hair out in the years uh, just trying to speculate and do tax planning when you don't know the rules of the game. And that's been really, really frustrating. But um, maybe we'll touch upon, you know, what the current rules of the game are. Um, more recently, it seemed that they had a hard time getting through all of the uh, stimulus packages. And as a result, they're realizing they're going to have to back down on some of their proposals for the taxes. Not to mention, the, the, the huge stimulus package ended up being smaller they don't have to tax the daylights out of us anymore. So some of the tax law increases, uh, honestly, when I take a look at all the things that they were talking about, they were talking about raising the tax rates, mm -hmm. they stopped. Correct. They were talking about um, raising the capital gains tax rate, they're stopped. not doing it, okay? Yeah. They were talking about um, lowering the federal estate exemption from like 11.7 or 11.8, Per, per person? Right. Didn't off do the it. table. Off the table. And then um, they're also talking about, I just lost my train of thought. Um, 
what was the other thing they were talking about? The, the mainstream people. The, they were talking step up about basis. getting rid of the step right, up the step and up basis. Right, the step up in basis. And what the step up in basis basically is, is, you know, if you died and you happen to have, you bought $10,000 in Microsoft stock in 1985 and it's worth $10 million, basically the capital gain goes away. And they were talking about taking that away at death. But Correct. they didn't. And basically what we're left with is virtually no changes to the tax laws that affects, I'll call it, the commoner. Correct. You know, as opposed to, but just the beginning of the show, you and I were talking about uh, that they may change something that will affect it, yep. and that's the SALT. Correct. SALT stands for state and local tax. In 2018, uh, President Trump put a cap on it. At 10000 At 10000 per per. Tax per, per, per family, return, yep. per return. By the way, if you filed separate, mild, uh, married, excuse me, varied filing separately, you couldn't each take 10, too, could you? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yep. Um, that killed the people who lived in states with very high property taxes and very high state taxes. Correct. Income and, taxes, yep. Yes. So, sounds like they might bring it back again? They're, the latest proposal, they're talking about bringing the salt deduction there which was capped as as Mike just said at ten thousand up to eighty. So that's a significant it's huge. It's, it's very huge. significant for most people. For most the the commoner or the average person probably would fall in under eighty, I would think. Oh, regardless yeah. of what state you live in. Well one of the things that I'm finding is <clears throat> and I actually projected this out back in May of twenty seventeen, uh, when President Trump was throwing out the proposed bills when they were going to cap salt to 10,000 and then raise the standard deduction mm -hmm. those people who owned homes most of them weren't itemizing anymore at least married correct okay if they opened that door did, did they imply that they're going to allow it for tax year, year 21 uh, what I've read was tax years 2021 through 2030, and then it goes back to the 10,000 again. Okay, which is weird because 2025 is supposed to uh, sunset the most recent tax laws, which created the salt. Yes, and, and right. So we're, we, we, we're, we're in a situation where we have different tax laws potentially sunsetting at different times, right, which exactly. makes it even more confusing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It makes our life easier. You lose hair, more hair kind of thing. So actually, that creates a opportunity. So for folks, and I know one of the topics we're going to talk about is uh, the charitable, uh, what do you call it when you load one year versus the other? There's Donor advice fund? Bunching? You know, bunching, yes. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that this could turn out to do is I may prepay next year's state taxes this year. Because I, I'm, to accelerate your deduction. Exactly. So instead of, you know, if let's say I know that I'm going to owe Pennsylvania $2,000 or whatever, mm -hmm. or my quarterly estimated taxes due January 15th, mm -hmm. if I make a quarterly estimated tax due January 15th, that's next year. Yep. If I want the deduction this year, hey, guess what? I'm giving the state the money on December 31st. Which is interesting because that's how it used to be before they capped the SALT deduction. Right. We would we would time clients and say make your payment, recommend that they make a payment in the current year versus the next year depending on a host of other factors including their, the amount of income they have in each year. Well, but yeah. What you're saying is 
we are back to a situation in which we can encourage clients to pay early, meaning a week or two early, to accelerate a deduction a full year early. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now from a cash flow perspective, if I make the payment on December 31st, I get the benefit in three and a half months, as opposed to if I make it on January 15th, I don't get the benefit for 15 months. Right. So, yeah, there's, so that's the only thing I see having an impact on, call it, the mainstream person. Correct. And that salt hit a lot of people. You know, very it, many. You yes. know, I mean, just I'm thinking. I know me. It's capped mainly because I pay too much on my property tax. Property tax. <laughs> you know, so welcome to the world. So those are some of the things that are uh, out of the way as far as that. So what are some of the things that I mean? We have a litany of things that we do for tax planning. I know uh, we're also talking about it. You're bad day is April 15th. My mm -hmm. bad day is December 31st. Mm -hmm. You know, Q4 of every year is my year-end tax planning season. Yep. And so most things after December 31st, except for business owners, most individuals can't really do a whole heck of I except maybe a, you know, contributing to an IRA or yep. a Roth IRA, which has very little impact on their taxes. Mm -hmm. So what are the, some of the things that you find uh, that you do with clients for, let's call it the individuals, sort of the mainstream people? What do, you, what do you normally do this time of year? Well, one of the big things would be charitable contribution planning. Yep. So let's, and, I, and I'll try not to get too technical with too, too many numbers, but if we're in a situation in which the standard deduction is capped at $25,000, we'll call right, it round. for a married couple. For a married couple, which means that or, or it's the threshold is $25,000, if, if people's, de depending on the, the amount of tax they pay and the amount of mortgage interest they pay and the amount of charitable contributions that they make, they might not get to that $25,000 right. a year. Right. So one idea is if it, when you're close, bunch, as we call it, multiple charitable contributions into a given year. Right. So instead of doing, instead of cutting your checks at the end of the year and saying, all right, well, I'll cut, cutting the current 2021 checks at the end of 2021, maybe say, well, how about I give my 2022 checks donations in 2021? Because what that does is it pushes, could push the total amount of the itemized deductions up over the standard deduction exactly. minimal. Exactly. And I'll use numbers. So if the standard deduction is 25000 <clears throat> and my other deductions are 20, I don't qualify. And if I normally make $4,000 of charitable contributions, mm -hmm. I'm still under the 25 this year, and I'll be under the 25 next year. Correct. But if I bunch either next year's four this year mm -hmm. or this year's four next year, I still get the 25 in the one year, but it pushes me to 28. Exactly. Exactly. And so on the charitable contributions, there's two other things that it's remarkable. A lot of people don't know about qualified charitable distributions yep. from the required minimum distributions. Correct. I, I can't believe it's been around for a very long time, but they've become more prevalent now. Yes. And, and where those are especially beneficial is for a taxpayer that itemizes. So, or excuse me, a taxpayer that takes the standard that deduction. That doesn't itemize. That does That's not correct. itemize. That's correct. So they're giving their charitable 
contributions every year and they're not getting a tax benefit for them. So what Mike's talking about, a, a QCD, a Qualified Charitable Distribution, instead of perhaps taking money out of your IRA and putting it, then writing a check into the charity, you have the IRA send the cash directly to the charity, which counts towards your required minimum distribution, but it keeps it off of page one of your tax return. So what we have here then is your page one of your tax return, your total income has decreased, but we, your, your standard deduction of, call it $25,000, remains the same. Right, exactly. And so the practical example of it, and, and we do it all the time. First of all, you have to be of required minimum distribution age. It doesn't apply to beneficiary or inherited IRAs, except if you're over the required minimum distribution age of 72. So if your required minimum distribution is $10,000, what this does is you may not have enough deductions on Schedule A on your itemized if you made $10,000 worth of contributions, uh, charitable contributions, that might still not bring you to 25, which means that you're not getting a deduction. But you're getting a deduction by just the sole purpose of, and you have to do it right, you have to literally take the money from the IRA and the check gets written directly to the charitable um, agency or, the or the church recipient. or whatever, yep, the, recipient. the recipient. And what happens is that instead of reporting it as income, it doesn't get reported. So in effect, it serves as a deduction in the form of not being treated as income. And oh, by the way, that impacts your adjusted gross income. That could potentially impact how much money you pay on Social Security. That could potentially impact if and how much you're paying for Medicare premiums. So trust me, if you're making those contributions to a charity, even if you are itemizing, mm -hmm. you're so much better <clears throat> off taking it directly from your IRA. And, and it's a function of you know, whoever the individual is to you know, talk to their financial advisor or their financial institution as to where they have it. Because I'm doing it with clients where they have an automatic monthly distribution going right to a charity. And then I also give them checkbooks. And then what we do at the end of the year is we reconcile how much we've actually written in checks. Yep. And then we take the remaining balance as an RMD. Yep. So we got to pick up. We're actually at our break already. Okay. We'll pick up right where you're about to jump right. in. And we'll pick that up. So stay tuned. <clears throat> we'll be with you in a few moments. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm Mike Meninger, your host, and I'm here with Brian Puglisi, 
uh, certified public accountant, a CPA. And you know, we're talking about year-end tax planning where we left off the previous segment was talking about the qualified charitable distributions where, uh, and, and this is mainstream people. I mean, yep. anybody who's over the age of 72 who has an IRA has to, take a, has to take a required minimum distribution. Yep, and, and this is not, we're, we're not, this isn't a discussion aimed at multimillionaires. This is something that the commoner or the average person can do, and it's very common. So many, many recipient entities out there, many of the charities have experienced receiving gifts through a, a QCD, and the financial institution where the IRA is, is housed should have no problem doing this. They're, they're doing probably tens of thousands of these oh, a year. I'm doing it actually with every one of my clients who's over the age of 72 who has required minimum distributions. I always ask them, are you making charitable contributions? Yes. Great. Let's do it differently. Yep. Okay. It's very simple. They don't care what check it's being written out of. And most financial institutions, now some may say, well, your check needs to be a minimum of 500 or 100. Yep. Well, if that's the case, then there may provide some restrictions, mm -hmm. okay? But, you know, while we're on the charitable giving, um, I've, and I've recommended to this before, not as easy, but making donations do of stock. Of stock. So here, here's the benefit. So instead of donating cash, let's say in the normal scenario, a taxpayer sells $10,000 or $5,000 of stock, pays 20 or so percent of that as tax and then donates what's left. Instead of that, the taxpayer can donate the stock directly to the charity. Right. So there's two benefits. One is the taxpayer avoids paying tax on the realized gain, which is the increase in value in that stocks from when you purchased it or received it to what it's worth when you donate it. And two, they get the taxpayer gets the deduction at the full fair full market value. Full amount. And so I always like to joke and say, stick the charitable, stick the charity with the, the with the tax, correct. right? Why do you stick the charity with the tax, Brian? Because they don't they don't because have they a don't tax. pay tax. Right. <laughs> exactly. So and then um, another thing. So this has happened. I mean, holy smokes! Look at how well the markets have done over the past several years. You know what it does is it gives somebody the ability. And, and you can't be pulling this off in the last week of December. You got to mm -hmm. plan it out because of the fact that the receiving charity has to have the ability to receive the stock. Right. There's diff many different moving parts, right. several different moving so parts. So don't be doing this in the last week of December. But, you know, there's a lot of different cool things that you can do to facilitate moving the stock over. And, you know, it's great. Now, another thing that I haven't used that often is and i've used them but donor advised funds yes okay that's pretty cool you want to talk about that yep so this goes back i one of us or both of us had mentioned bunching and the idea is where a a taxpayer that's close to the threshold of the standard deduction bunches donations or certain payments into one year to push themselves over a limit so a, a donor advised fund, it provides just the vehicle to do that. And these are also very, very common a, and, and highly recommended. A taxpayer can put cash or appreciated securities into a fund all mm -hmm. in one year, get that deduction, so push themselves over the standard deduction, get some tax savings that they wouldn't otherwise get if they were going to only make contributions over 
a multi multiple number of years, and then <clears throat> instruct the fund over the next number of years to make the contribution. To make the distribution. So, so I just did this. <clears throat> we did this last year in 2020 at a client who had a windfall of income in that particular year. And it just so happened that the same client happened to have um, a investment that was highly appreciated. Mm -hmm. And it was held at Vanguard. And I said, well, look, why don't you just take that and move it into the, the donor-advised fund. Yep. fund. And what happened was he also, just like the story of the appreciated stock, he was able to move it into the donor-advised fund, not pay the capital gains, and got the full donation now exactly. but the problem is to be clear is and it's not a problem okay in his particular instance let's say for instance it, the, the, his cost basis was 40,000 but its value was a hundred mm -hmm. he basically moved the entire hundred thousand dollars into a donor advised fund paid no taxes yep. and got a one hundred thousand dollar tax deduction this year and with it was able to then decide, which it's still there, but if it grows to, let's say, $150,000 over the next two years, he's done with the tax deductions. But what he does is he then tells his financial institution, okay, cut a check for $10,000 to so-and-so charity yep. until they use it up. But exactly. he got that full deduction in the year that he had an extraordinarily high income, mm -hmm. and he avoided the capital gains. It is a terrific strategy yep and probably underutilized under underutilized because most people are going to think well gee <clears throat> i'm not going to be and, and i had this discussion it's like you know here's our chance to take a gigantic deduction but it doesn't mean you have to give the entire hundred thousand this year right you could spread it out over what period of time and it doesn't have to be to one charity Correct. You could pick the Boy Scouts. You could pick the the church. You could pick all the different charities that you want. Yep. You know, so it's a beautiful thing. So, my goodness, that's another one. So, um, another thing that I am a huge proponent of. I mean, I read about it, and I've been doing this for years because I've been teaching taxes since two thousand three, and this was when the was it EGTRA, the Bush tax laws yep. came into play. And those tax laws are the ones that replaced the ones from the Clinton area. And they're the lowest tax, tax brackets we've had in years. hundreds. Yeah. yeah, 100 years at least. And so I've been preaching, hey, you know what? Take advantage of Roth IRA conversions because we've never been in these low of a tax bracket before. And what happens is President Trump lowers them yet. You know, yeah. like, oh, my goodness. So Roth IRA conversions. And I think I have an entire episode um, you know, if you want to look back, I believe I have an entire episode just on Roth IRA conversions. But boy, I'll tell you what. You know, what you're basically doing is you're moving money from an IRA to a Roth IRA. You pay the tax on it at today's tax rates. And now that it's in the Roth IRA, it grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Correct. Um, and the distribution out of the Roth IRA is tax-free. Is tax-free, assuming it meets a couple right. criteria, obviously. Correct. You have to be over 59 and a half, and that conversion had to have been done for five years. Yep. Okay, so it needs to be, but disclosures. Right. <laughs> disclosures for the TV show. Right, and it's easy to, easy to make those those requirements happen. Yes, exactly, exactly, particularly if you're younger. I mean, it doesn't matter. You, you're going to have to wait until 59 and a half, but anyway. So that's something that we've been utilizing a lot because 
because of the change in the tax laws over time, and this again goes back to my TV episode and what I preach, is a lot of people are going to find themselves actually in a higher marginal tax bracket in retirement than they are today. Right. And, you know, combination of the phantom taxation of Social Security, which only became taxable during the late 80s. And then, I mean, I know we can't predict the future, Brian, but I have to think that the tax brackets are going Rates up. Rates are going here. up. they got to yeah. go up. I mean, after all, we've got $27 million in debt. Billion. Trillion. Trillion. I, the M, the T, R, A, million, trillion. What's a couple letters amongst friends, right? Uh, you know, how could they not? How could they not go up? Right. So it's a function of, you know, all tax planning. It's just, you know, you do it every day. Uh, you do it a lot with the corporations and the business owners. I do it more with the individuals mm -hmm. who, in many cases, are business owners. But at the end of the day, a business owner... Their, tax re their, their, their business lands on their personal tax return. Correct. So, you know, we're not here to teach people how to cheat. But the rules are specified in a certain way. Follow the rules. Yes, there's, there's tax evasion, which is cheating, and there's tax avoidance, which right. is what we're trying to convey. Right. right. And, and, and by the way... Um, Tax avoidance isn't always what you want to do, and I've had this discussion with plenty of folks, is there are times you actually take the income this year. Correct. And I've had these discussions with a lot of business owners. I, had this, I actually had someone convert $400,000 in an IRA last year because they had a gigantic capital loss on a rental property. Mm -hmm. So people's like, hey, this is cool. I got 0% tax this year. Yep. I'm like, no, that's not cool. That's lost opportunity. So there are times, even with business owners, mm -hmm. there are times that you want to, you're, you're projecting taxes. It's not always taking a tax deduction today. It's maximizing tax efficiency, right? Correct. And so you probably find that a lot. We do. We do. And like you said, it's sometimes it's recommending that clients do what they don't want to do. Uh, Mike said it well. If, if, if you know that your income is going to be higher in a later year and you have some ability to to take certain income in the current year versus the later year you might want to take the income in the current year same thing is if you know and, and this will kind of tie back with the charitable contribution discussion if you know that your income is going to be higher in one year versus another year and that would push you into a different tax bracket which is where the tax advisor right in, in conjunction with the financial advisor work together then that might be the year that you time or intentionally make a larger charitable contribution to yeah, get charitable, it at the higher ordinary rates. Right, all the different things, all the different methods and, and techniques that you can use. Um, we're out of time on this episode, and I knew full well there was no way in the world we were going to get this done in one episode. So here we are. We're at the end of the first episode. I think I forgot to say at the very beginning, um, there's no way in the world, first of all, because of the fact that I can talk anyone's ear off forever. And when we're talking about a subject that I think is really cool, I knew there was no way in the world we we're going to be able to accomplish all of the tax planning ideas in one episode. So stay tuned. This is part one of two. Uh, we'll be with you with the next episode. Uh, for next week will be the Tax Planning 2 episode 
or year-end planning episode number two. So thank you for joining us, and please come back for the next episode where Brian and I will be going into more ideas that you can use. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day.